It's a joy to greet you in the name of Christ, our Lord, who's the head of the church, and I thank your pastor for this invitation to come and be with you. We were in town for the uh, Association uh, School of the Prophets, and I was very excited when he invited me to come over this morning and worship with you. I want you to know anytime I mention Alabama and when people found out I would be preaching here, uh, your pastor and his wife are well-loved in Maryland and Delaware, and uh, you should feel good to have a pastor who's well thought of, and so I bring him and you greetings from many brothers and sisters in the Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware. And I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and that was a little bit funny in your introduction because my grandfather, who was from North Carolina, he always wanted everybody to know that Washington, D.C. was below the Mason-Dixon line. (laughs) because he had brothers and sisters in New York City, and he, he wanted you to know that he wasn't them. And <laughs> um, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to be sympathetic, but um, I don't like winter. And so all you people that complain about heat, you get no sympathy from me. Because in January and February, I'm in a bad mood <laughs> for like eight weeks. I mean, the church knows it. My family knows it. It's just Let me invite you to Matthew chapter 22. I want to take advantage of our time together. <clears throat> and think about something that is foundational for every Christian. I think in a world of religious language, in a world of spiritual language, in a church world even with biblical illiteracy, I think sometimes Christians struggle to understand what is foundational. There are many things that we need to understand from the Word of God. There are many things we need to consider as we live our lives and seek to honor God, but we can't forget the foundational, definitional type things that define us. So in the Old Testament, God began his relationship with Israel on the mountain Sinai and His first words were, I am the Lord your God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the rest of the Old Testament is Israel's struggle to obey that foundational command. Rooted in the character of God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And in the New Testament, Jesus calls disciples, follow me, follow me, follow me. And on a particular occasion, someone asks him, what is the greatest commandment? And he gives them the greatest commandment, the foundational commandment. And many things will challenge us and encounter us, but I find sometimes as Christ followers, I meet brothers and sisters that 
might be a little off-center from the, from the foundational things. And so this passage of Scripture examines one of the, the foundational things in the New Testament. Who are you? We are followers of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? And the response should be, that means we love God and we love our neighbor. So listen to these words in Matthew chapter 22, and I'll begin at the 34th verse. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, meaning an expert in the law, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So one plus one equals two. You say, that's simple. That's like math we learned in first grade or kindergarten. Everybody knows one plus one equals two. Well, I'm not so sure if you look around at Christianity in America that many Christians believe that one plus one equals two. God believes that his followers can walk and chew gum at the same time. What am I talking about? I'm talking about people who sometimes seem like there's some conflict or there's some choice that has to be made between being faithful to God and loving God or loving your neighbor and interacting with people around you. Like there's some choice between a vertical relationship with God and obeying God's word and a horizontal relationship with other people, other humans, as you obey God's word. And when Jesus teaches the great command, he says, on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. How we relate to God and how we relate to other people. And it is so important that Jesus says it's often the stage that people will judge his work by and his, his, his person by as they examine us. For example, he says in John, this is how people know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. And so when the outside world looks in at followers of Jesus Christ, if they don't see us loving one another, then the image of God and the witness we say we want to project of God is affected by that. Jesus gave a command that is hard. Love your enemies. I'll tell you how hard it is. Uh, I was pastoring Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we had a preaching team and we had different campuses and I was laying out the preaching schedule, and we were going through some of the hard teachings of Jesus. And I laid the schedule out so I'd be out of town when it came around to love your enemies. 
because I just wasn't enthusiastic about preaching that text. And then this happened and that happened, and somebody got some circumstances happened, so I had to be there that Sunday. And that time of preparation and building up to that, Jesus said we ought to love our enemies. Jesus said we ought to love one another, and the world would know that we are his disciples by that. And when he gives this foundational command, he says we ought to love our neighbor. And in the 40th verse, says those two commands summarize and encapsulate the law and the prophets, or all that we would understand to be the Old Testament, the law that Moses laid down, the law that is laid out in Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, all that we would understand about the prophets when they would say, come back, Israel, come back to God, turn back to God, be faithful to God, when God would seek them in Hosea or seek them in Isaiah. All of that story and narrative is summed up in the great commandment, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. And I don't know how well we are doing with loving our neighbor. If the kingdom of God is different than the world, if the followers of Jesus Christ in, 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 in Peter's language, 1 Peter, are peculiar people, a holy nation, a chosen generation, if, if we are different from those who do not follow Christ, then it would seem that our interactions with one another and our interactions with the world would be different than that of ungodly people. But it would seem that some of the same divisions and distinctions that characterize sinful relationships and sinful interactions in the world, it would seem that those same kind of things sometimes characterize us as followers of Christ. You know, we live in a objectifying culture. We live in a misogynistic culture. Women are mistreated often. Women are objectified. And if the culture is Egypt or Babylon or Rome, you would say, oh, yeah, I mean, what do you expect? It's a fallen world. We live among sinners. Sinful people will act sinfully. But the witness of Christ is hard when those things are named among the saints. When people talk about sin and things that they've had to endure, when sisters talk about sin that they've endured in places called churches and among people called Christians, then the, the witness of Christ is undercut and we have totally failed when it comes to loving our neighbor, when it comes to loving our brother or sister. We failed in the witness that we want to have before a watching world that Jesus Christ is Lord and he changes everything. That's where we are. Those divisions that are in Galatians 3.28, and Paul says, don't let these divisions mark you all because we are one in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile, ethnic and racial divisions, neither male or female, conflict between male and female, neither wealthy or poor, classism, all, all those the things that define division in the world, all those things that separate people in the world. It's not to be that way among the people of God because we have been filled with his spirit and that spirit draws us together. And Paul tells the Galatians, we are one in Christ. And then that's supposed to spill over to how we interact with the watching world. So we have bad relationships in the family 
And then sometimes we have bad relationships outside of the family. And I talk to Christians sometimes, say, I don't care what those people out in the world think about us. Well, then you're not reading the Bible. Because Jesus says what they think about you matters. It matters about the witness. Father, John 17, let them, the disciples, let them be one so that the world may know that you have sent me. Yeah, what they think about us, it matters. If they think we're nasty and mean and exclusivistic and insular and we can't see our neighbor, it undercuts our testimony of Christ. There's no struggle here between loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, I do want to note that the love for God is a love with uh, everything you have. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, and Deuteronomy 6 even says your strength. Everything you have, loving the Lord. Remember, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So it's, 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 it's horrible when we worship the Lord and we love the Lord and some of us are mean and nasty. It's just as horrible when some of us love the dude down the street or the lady down the street or we got compassion for every little thing going on in the town around us, but we don't have an all-inclusive love for the Lord. My heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. You say, how come you don't do this with this group or don't do this with this group? Because that group doesn't love God. I can't be all mangled up and tangled up and intertwined with folk that don't love God. Part of the problem that Israel had in the Old Testament was people and nations that they made alliances with. Part of the problem in the Old Testament sometimes was people that they got too close with. Y'all remember that wise guy? Y'all remember that guy that got straight A's? Very intelligent. And Solomon married many strange wives, and they led his heart away from the Lord. So as we interact in the world, we have to be careful who we make alliances with. As we interact with the world, we must be careful about how people who identify as brothers and sisters, we must examine our affections and their affections towards the Lord because Jesus says, love God with everything you have. And he is repeating the law. So this has been the affirmative foundational identification of the follower of God throughout the entire scripture. The follower of God loves God with everything he or she has. And now I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, so I don't know if this was going on down here in Alabama, but when I was a kid in the 70s, ABC used to have this thing on Saturday morning called Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, y'all down with Schoolhouse Rock? <laughs> Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up phrases and clock. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the second is like unto it. It's not like love God with everything or it's love God with everything and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. 
And your neighbor is different than like a brother or sister in the body. Sometimes you talk to Christians, they're like, oh, yeah, but those people, they're just so worldly. they just so, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's obviously there aren't many Solomons in the church today because we can't even put it together that worldly folk act worldly. We find that stunning. <laughs> so love your neighbor is broader than love the brothers and sisters in the fellowship and in the body. And some of our neighbors are unlovable. Some of our neighbors are difficult. Some of our neighbors are different. But if uh, we're going to love our neighbor, then we got to learn how to love different folk. We have to learn how to love difficult folk. We have to learn how to love folk that sometimes, you know, we feel like we're in an awkward situation. You know, I just can't, our, our convention has a three-year partnership with the Baptist Convention of Kenya, one of their associations. I just got back from taking a church and a tour uh, time team over there. I mean, when you're on the mission field, you're in a different environment, so... You, know, you, 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 you sometimes you're in awkward and flexing and situations, and you, you just have to kind of go with it. You know, a lot of food over there. I'm sitting like, you know, where's the fork and where's the knife and everything? They're like, oh, here's the fork and here's your knife. <laughs> I mean, they they give you they they help you wash. They, I mean, I, I guess that's why they came around. They want you to wash your hands before the meal and everything, because your 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 hands are your utensils. I told the team, I was like, I promise y'all, it's just easier if you enjoy the meal and don't be one of these nosy Americans asking them, what's this, what's that, what's that? I said, what's this, what's that going to get you in trouble? If you just eat it, you'll you be fine. <laughs> you know, of course, every team, you always got like that 24-year-old nurse, and she's like, hello, what is this? And everybody at the table like, he said, don't ask, what is this? <laughs> so now you got to find out. Uh, yeah, it's squirrel booty or something. I mean, you got to. <laughs> if you didn't ask, you'd be fine. And we had a wonderful time. It was a great team, but they were very flexible. And they were open to learning new things. You know, I can't speak for your city here, but I know in Maryland, Delaware, we have a lot of congregations where the neighborhood is changing around them, businesses are moving out, businesses are moving in, things are kind of in flux, and sometimes, uh, you know, when things are in flux, you know, it seems like you would be in flux, but sometimes when things are in flux, I mean, church members are like this. It's not the same people that were around here a few years ago. No, it's not. Are you going to love your neighbor or are you going to shrivel up and die? Are you going to be a witness for Christ or are you going to shrivel up and die? I mean, that's like really the options. I just don't like, well, then if you can't love your neighbor, then you're going to undercut the witness of Christ. And more importantly, if you don't love your neighbor, then you're going to be disobedient to our Lord. This is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. This is a command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Why do I say it's foundational? It's foundational because there's many things to learn in the Scripture. But verse 40 says those many things 
stem out from this foundational command. You know, if you learn the basic foundational things, then you layer that with the other things that you learn throughout the scripture. And one of our strong problems is we're not just being obedient in the basic foundational What does it mean to love God with everything you have? You know, I'm always encouraging young people, if we're going to love God with our mind, then obviously we're reading the Scripture. I always encourage busy people, if we're going to love God with our mind, then obviously sometimes we're slowing down and we're meditating upon God. The mind is a wonderful thing. The mind can take you places. The mind can do stuff with you. I'm from Maryland, Delaware, as he said. Thankfully, not throwing me up there in New England. Maryland's in the mid-Atlantic. And so I was coming down here, show you how strong the mind is. And I'm not even paying attention. I'm just riding. I trust that girl, Siri. She's all right. And so the mind can, like, be driving and be living and doing stuff, but really kind of be off in cruise control, not really paying attention. But then the mind can, like, wake up because I was going up this hill and I took a right turn. And Siri said, turn right on George Wallace Drive. And my mind woke up. What? Where? What? <laughs> and I turned and I went down and I got up on 759. And, but the whole time I was going down, show you how powerful the mind is, I was going through every book I read in high school about American history and the Civil Rights Movement. I mean, my mind was like... <laughs> How often does our mind get consumed with God? How often do you read a passage for your devotion in the morning and the whole time you're driving to work, your mind is consumed with that passage. How often are we consumed with thinking about God? I mean, I'm, I, I meet a lot of Christians. They think about what's on the news. They think about TV. I, I meet a whole lot of people who have been discipled very well by 24-hour cable news. But how much do we love God with our mind where our Thoughts are saturated with him and the scripture. I mean, who can like just talk for five minutes about the immutability of God and that he does not change in his person and his character? Do we love God with our minds? I used to get irritated. I'm preaching, I'm tired, I'm sweating, I'm getting my I'm giving my all. Sometimes we got three services, and uh, I walk down the steps, I'm tired. It never fails. That's just probably a, a fatal flaw of Kentucky. We just nuts. It never fails. Somebody would come up, hey, pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a good sermon. Did you see that game yesterday? And I'd be so irritated. <laughs> I'm preaching. I'm trying to lift your minds towards Christ. I'm trying to have you exalt the Savior in your thinking and in your affections. I, I, I'm trying to do all this to turn our minds towards Christ. 
And the whole time we've been in church, your mind didn't even leave yesterday on Saturday at noon. How much do we love God with our minds, our souls, our heart deep down in? Deuteronomy says your strength. How much of our energy do we give to God? of our efforts do we give to God, our best energy, our best efforts. I mean, my daughter and I, sometimes we would leave Louisville, Kentucky after church and like ride on a Harley to California. I mean, I mean, I can't ride like a Harley to California with my daughter and, and then some brother to church say, oh, we're trying to, uh, uh, we're trying to get that uh, build that patio on the back, that, that picnic uh, thing, pavilion on the back. Can you, can you come out and help us? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, no, I can't do that. How, how, how can I have energy to, like, ride all the way across the country and not have energy to help brothers with the pavilion we're trying to build on the backyard of the church? How can I... How can I be a Louisville, can Louisville Cardinal season ticket holder in basketball and football? And my kids know those tickets don't cost $6. And then we can go to church and my kids sitting on the road with me. They can watch me like chuck $2 in church. Bing! My kids realize what's important, who's important, what's a priority, who is a priority. Are you loving God with your mind? I'm not pointing a finger. I'm asking a question, you know. I laugh sometimes. We lay it up in the bed, get to go to bed. My wife doing like this. I'm doing like this. Did you see what our daughter did? Look, look, look. We laying in the bed next to each other talking about Facebook when we got the same Facebook thing on two different phones. Why don't you just <laughs> talk to each other? <laughs> How much of our mind time do we give to God? Why am I dwelling on the mind? Because how much of our mind time that we give to God will affect how obedient we are to the second commandment? This new person I don't know in town will just look different to me if I'm meditating upon God's word. If I'm meditating in the book of Acts, then I'll feel a little bit different about people from every nation under the heavens. If I'm meditating in the book of Acts and meditating upon God's love for people like the woman at the well, then I'll, I'll feel better about the lesbian woman down at the homeless shelter. I'll feel better about the drug addict at the rehab place. I'll feel different about the dude. Before I was a pastor, I was a chaplain at the county jail and. Hamlin County, Tennessee, Chattanooga, where my wife is from. I, I feel better about the dude or the woman in the jail or the prison if I'm meditating upon how Jesus treats marginalized and kind of out there on the edge type people. And if I meditate upon the fact that, you know, there was that man that was possessed by a demon and nobody could really do anything with him and they thought he was like kind of problematic and messing up the flow. And then he met Jesus and he was like sitting up in his right mind. If I meditate on that kind of stuff, it affects how I love my neighbor. 
If I meditate on the fact that God's people are sanctified and set apart and even as he's preparing them for the promised land, he said that when you get over to that land, don't act like them, don't think like them, don't talk like them. If God set his people up to be sanctified, then that helps me understand the neighbors I'm called to love. The saints don't do a good job loving worldly people because the saints don't always think that worldly people are worldly. When there's no king in Israel, Judges says, Everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. So, of course, people are going to do that which is right in their own eyes. And as a pastor, I know the Lord needs to work on us. Because loving the neighbor that you don't know, loving the neighbor that's different, that takes the spirit of God, that takes the desire to obey the Lord. And I know we need help with it because as a pastor in different situations, I've pastored different sized churches. I've pastored churches that have been largely white people. I've pastored churches that have been largely black people. In all those different settings, I've just seen people struggle to love their neighbor. I've seen people struggle to love their close neighbor, like their kinsmen according to the flesh. I just don't know what to do with my child. They just out there, and I'll just, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I don't have every answer for you, but I know you're supposed to love them. I know you're supposed to love them. I've been in different church settings where I've, I've had conversations with people like, well, they're just not my child anymore. What? What? Okay, you sound like a biological fool. They steal your child. But you sound like a biblical fool. They steal your child. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that we don't do well loving our far neighbors because some of us don't do well loving our close neighbors. And so let's balance this. I know your pastor is not like this, and you ought to feel blessed about it because I know he looks for fruit that remains and fruit that Jesus says you shall know a tree by the fruit that it bears. But sometimes I'm around people, and they act like all that matters is what you believe and that you believe the right things. But when Jesus answered this question about the greatest commandment in the law to the lawyer who was trying to tempt him, a set-up question, they weren't trying to learn, they were trying to set him up. Jesus said, no, what you believe matters, your affections toward God's matter, but he also says what you do matters. We can undercut the witness. We can renovate our buildings. We can be prepared to receive people. We can have our wonderful brothers and sisters singing and leading us in praising the Lord. We can have a preacher who's faithful to the Lord God. But we can undercut all of that if we're encountering our neighbors through the week and they realize that we don't like them, that we hate them, we despise them, we're mean towards them. We do anything except show the love of God towards them. So whether you're a manager on your job, an owner of your business, a teacher in the school system, whenever you interact with people, just consider obeying Jesus' commands. It's foundational. You don't read every verse of Scripture where it says, now, what, you're, what I'm saying here encompasses all of the Bible. But you read that in this verse. On these two commandments, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And the last thing I want to say to you is you're going to have to check your attitude. We've made a mistake sometimes in Bible-believing American Christianity because we think if we teach people the right things, things will be good. Now, we, we, we need to teach the right things, but think, people need to be worked upon by the Holy Spirit, and people need to desire to obey God. For example, in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, a certain lawyer, again, standing up to tempt him. These lawyers are people who know the word of God. And they think they can take the word of God and twist up the word of God. <laughs> How crazy is that? In the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh. So they're trying to take the word of God and twist up the word of God. And Jesus says, what is the written in the law? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And the lawyer says to Jesus in Luke 10, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer knows the law. Jesus said, well, do that. But then the, lawyers, but then the Bible says, but the lawyer is trying to justify himself and trying to justify not loving his neighbor. And then the lawyer says, who's my neighbor? Your neighbor is everybody. We don't get to pick our neighbors. Your neighbor is everybody. And your neighbors can be awkward. Your neighbors can be outright sinful. Your neighbors can be weird. I told you I don't like winter. So my family, we do Christmas most, most years in South Florida. I've always preached the Sunday before Christmas and said, peace, see ya. And I, love, I, li I like hanging out in South Florida, but there's some weird dudes down there. Um, it's usually dudes that are like in their 60s or 70s, and, you know, they were like dudes in their 20s. Uh, but, like, they still got the Speedo from their 20s. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of and and they And they always, like, extremely talkative. And that's like the guy, hey, how you doing? Where you from? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, man, you know. I mean, by then, you know, the 20, they, they're not 20 anymore. They're in their 60s or 70s, so some other things have developed. So, I mean, you like, you know, the Bible said we walk by faith. You assuming by faith that Speedo is like really under there. <laughs> it's awkward, but. I've never failed to like meet people who are like very successful and have done wonderful things in this world and they find themselves coming to a later part of life and being kind of broken and unsure and insecure about the future. It's amazing having opportunities to share the gospel, having amazing having opportunities to maybe just affirm someone who's already a Christian. But none of that happens if you like kind of acting creepy towards your neighbor and you can't like get over the fact that you like Going to sit here and have a conversation with this speedo dude. And that's just an awkward neighbor. You know, I have friends and relatives that want to do their own thing regarding sexuality. I have friends and relatives that think nothing's more important than their career success. I have friends and relatives that are like mad at the church, mad at God because of things that have gone on in their lives or things that have gone on in the church. And when it's real easy 
to just push back and get into your own world. When it's real easy to get to your sweet spot, sweet spot has been on my Harley out on the road going somewhere, no cell phone, no folk, oh man, that's like good. When it's real easy to do all that kind of stuff, Jesus says, love your neighbor. And it's real easy for us to say, who's my neighbor? So if somebody says, what did that dude from Maryland talk about? So here's a real easy nugget to remember. He said, Jesus believes that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So the invitation is simply this. Maybe as we sing and as we pray, do I need to repent of how I treated my neighbor? Do I need to repent Pat and I live in a 10-story building. And there's some Islamic families in our building. And I wasn't hostile or anything. But, you know, you see people in the lobby, you see people in the elevator. You know, when we first moved there, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't hostile, but I also wasn't like, hello, how are you, neighbors? Um, and I've actually found those uh, neighbors to be very nice and actually even had the opportunity to have conversations about the difference between Islam and Christianity and Jesus Christ and things like that. But those opportunities don't arise if people can sense not only that you don't have any type of godly love or well wishes for them, but that you have hostility. People can sense hostility. So ask the Lord, are there relationships, are there interactions with people I need to repent of? I mean, you know who you don't like. And you don't have to like who you don't like, but you do have to treat them in a godly way. I mean, I don't like the Big Ten. <laughs> but I treat my friends in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin, and Michigan. I, tr I treat them in a godly way. But they know I don't like them. But they also know I love them with the love of the Lord. You don't have to like everything. You don't have to like everybody. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you do have to obey Jesus. So as we seek to walk and chew gum at the same time, I don't know the dynamics of your county. I don't know the dynamics of your neighborhood. But I know most places you got local people and you got people moving in. So you got people, I'm sure you got people around here that aren't homegrown Alabama, sweet home Alabama. I'm sure you got foreigners around here. <laughs> How we treat people. Thank y'all for being nice to this Merlin guy.
But I think there's some difficult people we need to ask the Lord. Am I loving my neighbor that I might be a witness of you? Let me pray for you. Father, please help us. It is so easy to be around people we like. It is so easy to be around just the body of Christ, other believers. Help us to figure out how to love the man who was taken on the Samaritan road. Help us to figure out how to interact with the woman at the well. Help us to figure out how to interact with the man possessed of demons. Help us to figure out how to interact with conniving, sneaky Matthew, the tax collector, and rough, gruff Peter, the fisherman. Help, help us to figure out how to interact with people around us in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.